I wanna start today with a quick question in light of God doing a new thing. How many of you wish you could go to Starbucks with God and sit down over a two-pump iced venti, um, caramel vanilla macchiato, pretend that it's coffee and not a milkshake, and, and ask God all the questions you have about your future and what he has next for you, okay? Um, hey God, how you doing? I know you're busy, so thanks for meeting me. By the way, how's Gabriel? How are the Golden Streets? Are you guys good? Are, are they good? Are we good? Hey, by the way, who should I marry? And uh, what job should I take? And should I buy or rent? Is the market gonna dip? Is crypto real? Like, should I send my kids to private school or public school? I still live with my parents. How am I supposed to make monumentally huge decisions that'll affect the rest of my life? What are your plans for me? I know you have them. I know they're good. I've read the verse. I even got it tattooed for crying out loud, but I'd love just for you to like hand me a brochure that has all of them. I know, I know the verse says they're good. In fact, let's read Jeremiah 29, 11. This is a, a promise God gave to the Israelites and it parallels to you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That is a beautiful promise, that is so good. Uh, if you need a church, you better learn that one quick, all right, because you're gonna need to verse drop that uh, in conversations and preach it to yourself all the time. For I know the plans I have for you, but really quick, who knows the plans, you or God? God, and anywhere in that verse does he promise to inform you of said plans? No, just we're on the same page. I think that's why it doesn't end at that verse. I felt God speak to me this week. He said, if you're gonna preach on Jeremiah 29, 11, have the courtesy to keep reading the two verses after it. So I said, yes, sir. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And then verse 12 and 13, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I think we love 11, but I think God loves 12 and 13 because 11 is about us and his plans for us. 12 and 13 is about us and him and our relationship. And he says, don't seek plans, seek me. Which by the way, is really hard to do when you're a low grade control freak, I mean human being. Sorry, I mixed those two up. He says, seek, seek me, seek the person, because then even if you don't get all the plans, and even if you get the plans, but you don't like all the plans, or even if you get the plans, but you don't like how fast the plans are going, like you wish the plans would speed up and the timing of the plans would be a little different, well then you will still trust the person. So Red Rock says, we seek Jesus together today. I wanna preach a gritty message that does its best to answer this question for all of us. What does God have planned for me next? I wanna be practical, I wanna be helpful. I feel it in my, my gut that it's kind of a, a turning of seasons perhaps and maybe it's time for the next chapter for your life and the past is in the past and we're ready for God coming like the rising sun, amen? What does God have planned for me next? So Jesus, we love you. Have your way in this place today. Encourage those who need it. Challenge those who need it. Let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may take a seat. Welcome to church. Who's seen the new Top Gun? Who's seen it? Let me, okay. It is so good. <laughs> You're like, what am I sitting in right now? Welcome to Red Rocks, baby. 
So much went into the making of this new Top Gun film. Tom Cruise said, we set out to make the greatest aviation film of all time, which you cannot do in the studio. You gotta go into the air. And so the fighter jet footage is real. The actors trained and went for it and basically lived my dream. And they, they launched off of real aircraft carriers and F-18 Super Hornets and operated seven cinematic cameras mounted in the back of cockpits while they flew and pulled like six to eight Gs and even underwater training in case of an emergency where they had to evacuate over the ocean all the way down to Miles Teller. Miles Teller taking seven weeks of piano lessons so that he could play Great Balls of Fire like his movie dad, Goose. Sequels are usually not better than the originals, but I'm gonna say this and it's big and it's bold and it's audacious, but I believe it. This one, this one is. This one is, it is, it is, yeah. And um, I, wanna, I wanna build my credibility for you. And I know this is not about me, this is about God. This is the Lord's house, but I need to do this to make a point because I believe it's God's point and I'm building the kingdom by, by doing this. But you guys know I have this uh, weird and sometimes useless ability to quote movie scenes with just insane accuracy. It's a blessing and a curse, a blessing for me, a curse for my wife. And um, I, can, I can quote all of Top Gun. Now, usually when I say that, I, I have guys who, they say this back to me, they go, oh, dude, yeah, me too, man, I love that movie. And I'm go, I, I, I unfortunately have to correct them. And I go, hey, man, um, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. When I say I can quote all of Top Gun, that's what I meant. I don't mean like, um, I don't mean I know some of the quotable lines and I only kind of botch them when I deliver them and I, kind of, I really like the movie. That's what I'm saying. I mean every inflection of every syllable from start to finish of this movie. And so to build just a little credibility, once again, this is not a, this is for the glory of God, but I'm gonna do a scene at the beginning of the original Top Gun. I'm gonna do it at 3x the speed for time's sake. Um, but this is in the beginning of Top Gun where Commander Stinger's in his office on the aircraft carrier. He's yelling at Mav and Goose because Mav just went back to get Cougar and now they're in trouble and they're getting yelled at and Commander Stinger says this, Maverick, you just did an incredibly brave thing. What you should have done was land your plane. You don't own that plane, the taxpayers do. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You've been busted, you've lost your qualifications as section leader three times, put in hack twice by me, with a history of high-speed passes over five air-controlled towers and one admiral's daughter. And that's when Goose leans over and goes, Penny Benjamin, which by the way is a very subtle foreshadowing to Jennifer Connelly's character in the sequel. You probably didn't know that. But he goes on and says, I got another problem here, Mav. I gotta send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I gotta do something and I I, I still can't believe it. And the stuttering was on purpose. He said, I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. And this is when the Top Gun anthem kind of starts to swell. For five weeks, you're gonna fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You were number two, Cougar was number one. Cougar lost it and turned in his wings. You guys are number one. But you remember this, you screw up just this much. You'll be flying a cargo plane full of, and I gotta stop there, because we're in church, but it gets very, very quotable. End scene, thank you guys. Y'all are heroes. Justin, great aviators, great touch, man. Thanks for just going for it. If you're wondering how many times I rehearsed that, none, seriously. Um, if you guys do have room, by the way, and can scoot in, that would be very helpful. We have some more people coming in. Um, but guys, it's in my blood, and I'm just trying to build my credibility to make that point. Um, it's, part of, it's, it's in my blood. In fact, not to overdo it, 
but here's a video taken of my offspring just three days ago. And he's not trying to be funny, he's not like joking around, he's so serious, that's just passion coming out of him. Um, I love the original, um, I needed the second, the sequel to be good, and it was. Um, well, I'm good to close in prayer if you guys are. <laughs> Call it a day, it's beautiful outside. Um, all of us are living a story. I think a lot of us are, are ready to write the next chapter I think a lot of us are ready for God to make a new film because you can quote this last one a little too good. You've read and reread this last chapter of your life a few too many times, taken a few too many victory laps, and it's time, it's time for the sequel. And, and um, I, I, I just, like that movie, I, you might not agree that uh, it was better, but you have to agree it costs more and took more. And that's my message today. I just believe God is calling all of us to something new as a church, as individuals, that it's time to move from that chapter to this one, from this season to there, from here to there. It's time to step out of addiction and into freedom once and for all. It's time to, to leave a season of mourning and step into a season of celebration, to leave a season of doubting into a season of, of expectation, to leave anxiety and depression into living alive and free once and for all, to leave a season of, of settling for less than God's best for you into a season where you claim the more that he has and the story that God wants to write. It's time to go from here to there. And that takes grit. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. This is our series verse in Philippians 3. He says, forgetting what is behind. And so permission to forget what is behind to whoever needs that today. The only interest God has in your past is redeeming it and using it. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on with grit into what God has for me next. And here's my message. The sequel will require more from you than the original. I wanna challenge you today because I think God is getting his people ready and we're not waiting on a move of God. We are a move of God and, and our God is up to something and he doesn't, do, he doesn't do reruns. And the faith that got you here might not necessarily be the faith that gets you there and whatever's next is a higher calling than what is behind. How many know freedom's a higher calling than, than bondage? Leadership's a higher calling than, than just living. And the faith that got you here might not be the faith that gets you there. And I wanna show this to you in, in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter one, right? Right away, this by the way, this is the same group of people that Jeremiah 29.11 is for. Just 800 years before Jeremiah 29.11, we have this in Joshua chapter one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now remember, Moses is the guy who led his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, and that's all I'm gonna say about that because I'm just assuming you've seen The Prince of Egypt. And if you haven't, it's on Netflix. Oh, by the way, Val Kilmer, fun fact, the, he's Iceman in Top Gun, the voice of Moses in Prince of Egypt. It's just a little God wink for you, Ethan. Um, so Moses is gone, and the new season is beginning. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River 
into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites, to you. So Moses went through the Red Sea singing, there can be miracles by Mariah Carey the whole way. And now Joshua will cross the Jordan. This is the sequel. I don't know if it'll be better. I do know it will require more than the original. Fast forward to Joshua 3.1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from beep. I, I practiced it a few times, but if I botched that, um, there's a few in this crowd over here that lack the maturity to handle that, and I include myself in that group, and so I'm just gonna, they set out from that place and they went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And three day, and after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that's Old Testament lingo basically for the presence of God. When you see the presence of God in the Ark and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions. In other words, leave where you are, move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Are you ready for your next chapter? Follow the presence of God where you've never been before. I don't know what that is for you. Purity, sobriety, generosity, freedom. Follow the presence of God where you've never been before. Joshua told the people, this is the key verse, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Amazing things, I love that. Demonstrations of God's power, stories so abnormal they are unexplainable without him. He says, tomorrow I'm gonna do amazing things. We, we don't always control what God does tomorrow. We can control what we do today. And he's saying, consecrate yourself today. If you're wondering, what does that mean? That's a great question. Consecrate means set yourself apart for a sacred endeavor. Notice the ownership, we do that. Set yourself apart for a sacred endeavor because when God is about to do extraordinary things, he calls us to extraordinary things. So what's next is a higher calling than what's behind. So what does God have planned for you next? I believe with all my heart, God would love, metaphorically speaking, for you to sit down with him over coffee Seek him, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. And he would love to design this next chapter of your life with you, a hope and a future. But I, I know he would, he would tell you to show up with some grit and a set-apart spirit that is eager and willing and ready for all things in, in God. If you're gonna face the future with faith and not fear. It's gonna take some grit. It's gonna take the grittiness to love and trust a person regardless of the plans that person brings to the table. I'm talking about some patience. I'm talking about some obedience and I'm talking about some confidence. Three characteristics that I believe go into a prepared spirit or a set apart posture. I'll say it this way. I bring the posture, God brings the plans and we write my story. You might say, well, well, pastor, God is writing this story. Uh, I mean, he's in control, he's sovereign. Everything that happens passes through his hands. Okay, ultimately, God is writing the story, but you, your posture is the pen he's using to write it. And you decide so much about this next year, 
this next week, this next season, and the story that it's going to, to tell. Well, pastor, to say we have the power to change God's story is the slight against the authority of God. Not if it was his idea. It's not. Which is crazy to me that God, in, he, in Romans chapter eight, would say we're his children. We're heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. We have been, and I believe the Bible and just reality agrees with what I'm about to say. We have the God-given ability called free will to make decisions within the sovereignty of the same God who already knows the end from the beginning. And we are co-heirs with Christ, which means you have been delegated from him some ownership into the story, which is scandalous and crazy, his idea, and a high calling, which means consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart, for tomorrow God is going to do amazing things. The first thing I believe a set-apart spirit has is this, patience for the process. Patience for the process. Jeremiah 29, 11 was a promise given to the Israelites, catch this, when they had 70 years of waiting in front of them. Patience, the least liked of all the fruit of the Spirit. I literally Googled worst fruit a few days ago, and an article came up titled, Tomatoes Criticized for Having Vegetable Energy. <laughs> Tomatoes, church, really bothering people. Patience is that one fruit of the spirit that's kind of got more of that veggie vibe, that bitter energy to it. Like, let's be real, who, who likes to wait? Who's choosing five to six business days over two-day shipping? Are you serious, you know? Our culture has crown convenience king. It really has, from DoorDash and Uber Eats, Instagram and fast food and and down to all the ways where we basically have made um, delayed gratification non-existent from hookup culture and pornography. I could keep going all the way to high-speed Wi-Fi that better not need no password. Like it's, our, our culture has crowned convenience as king and I think it's crept into the church a little too much, like so much so that I, I think a lot of us actually think God values success over serving and platform over the process and in influence over integrity and likes over lessons and wealth over wisdom. And I wonder if given the choice between the presence of God or learning all of his plans, how many of us would actually choose the former? Convenience is now is king. But what if patience, bitter, bitter patience, was actually the key to tasting some of the sweeter fruits of the spirit like peace and joy? I mean, if everything is gonna go in your life according to God's timing anyways, you might as well have some peace and joy in the process. And patience is not sitting around passively waiting for God to do something. Patience is evidence of a strong and surrendered spirit. Why? Because the point of patience is not about getting to the plans of God then and there. The point of patience is tapping into and experiencing the presence of God today in the here and now. Think about it. The man who loves to walk will go farther than the man who loves the destination. Why? Because the journey is your joy. And you know something most don't, that peace is not a place I'm trying to get to. Peace is a path beneath my feet 
because this is where the presence of God is, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to cultivate it. And I'm telling you, God will make most clear his plans for your future when you are most committed to him in your present. And as you do that, and as patience begins to grow, I bet you'll go from just embracing the process to actually maybe even enjoying the process. Psalm 130, verse five, and I, I had so many verses to choose from in regards to patience. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my, what's that word? My hope. So right there, hope is the key to patience. Hope means you believe what you're waiting for tomorrow is, is better and greater than what you are walking in today. That's why we, we say all the time, we, we have a God of hope, the best is yet to come. We ain't seen nothing yet. I believe this next chapter will be better. I'll always be that guy who just believes that. I don't know why, why anybody would not. We have a God who is that good. You have hope. I'll, I'll give you more. He has plans for you. He, he wants to take you places. He wants to write better and better stories in your life and through your life. He has plans for you, but his plans are not free. And the price is patience. I tried to buy some coffee at a gas station a few days ago, and I, I handed the guy at the checkout my credit card, and he said, cash only. And I said, what's cash? I said, have you sold anything today? I'm trying to help you. Here's three credit cards. Don't tell Dave Ramsey. Swipe any of them. <laughs> and he said, the machine's down. Cash is the only form of, of payment. And I feel like patience is the only form of payment God takes for some of his better plans and promises. We show up to the table going, God, I'm ready. I got energy, got vision, ambition, got some resources, I'm connected, I've been networking, got some good ideas. That's really gonna build your kingdom and be good for my life. I think we'd have a good partnership and I think we could really generate some impact here, God. Like, what do you say? And I think he would go, awesome, can you wait on me? I'm searching for souls with the grit to wait on the Lord, with the resilience to remain. Isaiah 40, 31, you might have a coffee mug with this on it. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord, patience in the process. I think all of us are waiting on something Maybe you're waiting on a spouse. Can I just encourage you and challenge you at the same time? Actively wait, not passively. Actively wait on the Lord by making the most of every opportunity and day by day becoming a little bit more the best, most godly version of you he made you to be, the version of you that somebody would be lucky to marry because you don't have to project an image when your substance preaches and speaks for itself, amen? Did you guys know the Israelites were promised a land full, flowing with milk and honey? And yet on the way to it, God had a method called manna, which asked this question, can you be faithful with today's process before you even see tomorrow's promised land? Like you can't give 10% of 50K, but you think you give 10% of 500K? I go, oh, don't make me laugh. You could not do that. 
And you know us, I'm not trying to get you to give here. God's got this church, give anywhere, just be generous. We're trying to build a generous generation. I'm just making the point that what appears on surface level to be God's holding pattern in your life might actually be your stubbornness and unwillingness to learn something he's trying to teach you now for what's next. If you don't let the process prepare you, the promise might destroy you. If the manna doesn't make you strong, milk and honey might make you sick. Patience for the process. And, and trust me, I get patience, man. I'm about as slow of a work in progress as you get. And every day I find myself wishing I was just farther along. Like, why do I keep struggling with, with this same stuff? Why do I keep thinking the same thoughts? Like, I wish, God, can you just zap me to my destination? But we have a God of sanctification which is a gritty, gritty process, but you're up for it because he put it in you. He's saying, you're gonna fall, just fall forward. Keep getting up, keep showing up, keep coming back to the altar, keep praying, keep seeking help, go to rehab, ask, ask somebody to keep you accountable, keep getting up, keep asking for more, keep moving forward, but don't quit and don't stop. Many will in the final days walk away from me, but not you because you got grit. You got more grit in you than you realize it just needs to be cultivated right now. It takes grit to take heart, but patience is alive and at work within you. It might just need to be exercised, but you have it, and God is inviting you into, I mean, how great is that news that you don't have to wait until you get there to, to taste the sweetness of the peace and joy and contentment that you are searching for daily. He's saying, no, all these things are, the path you're walking on, it's all right there, and patience allows you to cultivate it and dig it up. Amen? Patience for the process. Number two, a set-apart spirit has obedience in the obscurity. Obscurity means the seemingly unimportant things and seasons that nobody might ever see. Remember verse five, Joshua, he said, he told the people, consecrate yourselves today, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. We can't always control the outcome of what God will do tomorrow. We can control our obedience today. And when God is about to do extraordinary things, he calls you to extraordinary things. And so my question for you is, what do you think God might be calling you to as far as you setting yourself apart for extraordinary things? Look at Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and, so notice two categories, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance or grit the race marked out for us. I'm setting myself apart from the sin that so easily entangles and you're going, well, what are you referring to? Probably the thing that pops up in your mind every time you hear the word sin. I'm probably talking about that, the, the pattern that maybe you tried to, um, you tried to, to destroy that one time or, or a lot of times, but it's, it's tough and I, I get that. And so you just kind of resolve to, to make it a pet and kind of keep it and you call it a bad habit, but it's not delivering on what it's promising to deliver for you every time, every time. And it's, it's seemingly... Um, not a big deal right now, but there will come a day. It, it turns on you and starts to destroy you little by, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, shake off the sin that is entangling you, and then he says also everything that just is hindering you. So here's my question. What if God is calling you to set yourself apart from things that are common? Not sinful, common. It's not sinful to stay up watching three more episodes every night and wake up exhausted and not ready for what God wants to do through you, it's common. But if you want an uncommon destiny, you can't have common discipline. 
You wanna walk in extraordinary plans and purpose, that's going to take extraordinary patterns. And I don't know about you, but I, I have one life to live, and I believe God has a calling on my life, and I'm, I'm going all out for it. I believe he wants to write an amazing story, and I don't wanna let my lack of obedience, especially in the obscurity, be the lid or the ceiling for what God wants to do in me and through me and the more that he has for me to experience. Extraordinary plans extraordinary patterns. I'm setting myself apart. So what if you, here's a question, what if you sat down to that table with God and you pre-decided you were gonna say yes? This was Jesus in Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, not afraid to die, not afraid of physical pain, afraid of being forsaken by God while he drinks the cup of all wrath due all sin in the universe, past, present, and future. Taking that on, and he, in his humanity, fully God, but fully man, he drops to his knees and he prays. He says, God, if there's another plan that could accomplish the same thing, well, that could be so convenient right now. But then he resolves and says, yet not my will, but your will. In other words, I have pre-decided yes to whatever you say. I say yes, not from his flesh. I say yes from his spirit. I'm, I'm terrified, but yes. I'm afraid, but yes. I don't fully understand, but yes. I'm hurting, but yes. I'm addicted, but yes, because you're all I got. If you don't breathe out, Father, then I, I don't breathe in. I wonder if, if, if God, I think God's wondering, will you still hear him if, if the plans he speaks are not what you're wanting to hear? Will you still follow him if he leads you where you've never been before? If he's taking you maybe even places and spaces that you don't want to go? What if you pre-decided yes? I think God's favorite thing is when we say yes even when we don't fully understand. So God, I don't, I don't fully get it. I don't fully understand why you're asking us to wait till marriage, but yes. I don't fully uh, get it. Like I don't fully understand why I feel like you're telling me to, to leave this relationship, but the loneliness and where I've never been before, I'm terrified, but I trust you. You see the end from the beginning, so, so yes. I don't fully know why I'm talking to this person or texting that person or, or giving that money or checking into rehab right now of all seasons, right now. Like, I don't fully get it, but yes. I'm telling you, God has a plan for you. The question might be as simple as this. Can he get a yes from you? You know Psalm 37.4, that verse, it won't be on the screen, but it's the one that says, delight, delight in the Lord and he will give you the promise, like he will give you the desires of your heart. We all know the second half of that. I'm talking about the first half. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's what that doesn't mean. That's not a verse that says follow your heart. I think some of the worst things ever have been done because people followed their heart. I'm saying follow Jesus, lead your heart to God, and then in proximity with him, trust your God instinct. As you're delighting in him, then God gives you the desires of your heart because that's the space where the one with the ultimate vision for your future begins to download it. And he takes some of what's in there because he put it there already, but then he brings his, his mystery and his magic into the process, into the equation. And then you find yourself with a longer list of unanswered prayers and you're so grateful for that. Like, man, God, this was so much better than what I wanted to write on my own. Because you showed up with a posture that said, I'm gonna be, I'm obedient. I've pre-decided to say yes, amen. Oh man, I wanna, I could talk for so long, you guys, but we have to go to point three. Okay, confidence in the calling. 
final one, confidence in the calling. The faith that gets you here might not be the faith that gets you there. I remember watching a pastor named Stephen Furtick preaching about confidence in the gap. In other words, if, if this is who I am now and where I am now, and this is the gap to where I want to be and who I want to be. So the way you build confidence to span this gap is by looking behind you at this gap, which is much broader. And this is the gap between where you used to be and where you are now. Because of the grace and mercy of God, I'm not where I wanna be yet, but I am not where I deserve to be. I'm not where I should be. I'm not where I used to be. And the God who got me this far is not gonna leave me here. The same God who began the good work in me is the same God who will carry it on to completion. The grace that saved you is the same grace that will continue to sustain you and you have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity but of power and love and a sound mind. And so face forward, because this is where time is going and where God is taking you and have some confidence in your calling and let his past patterns in your life preach to you about the future faithfulness he's about to have. Because one day you're gonna be here and then you're gonna have another gap in front of you, but you'll have even more evidence of this last chapter of all the ways that God was already faithful in your life. And if you can believe that about then, then you can walk out of here today knowing my God is able and whatever is in front of me, I can be confident in this calling. I can fear not, fear not, a phrase used in scripture 365 times, one for every day of the year because God knew that we would need it. He tells Joshua this on repeat because he knew Joshua would need it. Joshua, fear not. Don't be timid, don't be timid. And he's saying that because God knows what Joshua's about to walk into, which is freedom, okay? So Moses, remember Moses walking through the Red Sea with all the Israelites, they leave slavery. And when they get down to the Red Sea, God tells Moses, all he says is stretch your hand over the water and then God parts it. But notice the difference. Joshua 3.8, this is what he tells Joshua in the sequel. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the waters. It's gonna cost him more. Get your feet wet, Joshua. Put your reputation on the line a little bit. Stop praying small to give me an out in case I don't answer that prayer. Stop playing small with the gifts and the, the visions and the dreams that I've, that I've given you. Get your feet wet. That's the posture I want from you. That's the posture I believe God is saying, like, will you, will you put your reputations on the line a little bit? Will you stick this thing between your teeth? Will you have some confidence, unlike ever before, in our mission, at making heaven more crowded as a church, in your life individually? Will you, will you step into the water? Because where I'm taking you, you're gonna need that kind of posture, and I'm not gonna bring you into it unless you're ready. A few years ago, uh, me, E, and Ryan got to raft the Nile, which was one of the coolest things we ever got to do. And I figured if baby Moses can do this in a basket, how hard can it be? Uh, turns out very. And the guide sat us down before, and I was kind of, we were kind of like messing around and, and making jokes, and then he goes, hey, like, listen to me. I'm trying to prepare you. These are class five rapids. This is the Nile. You will go over a 15-foot waterfall. Your raft will flip five to 10 times. Every time it does, the river will suck you under a little bit, but don't fight it because you'll lose and the river will win. So just conserve energy until it decides to spit you out. And everything he said happened to us, but we were ready because he prepared us. I think God is preparing Joshua, even by calling him to a little bit, I need a little bit more faith from you. Go get your feet wet. 
and keep that posture for the promised land. Because freedom, we all think, man, the battle is I step out of bondage and out and I leave rehab and the hard work's done and here's freedom. What I'm telling you is freedom is class five rapids. Freedom ain't for the faint of heart. Freedom takes grit. Freedom takes confidence in your calling and patience in the process and obedience in the obscurity, but I think you're up for it. I think God is, is about to write the next chapter for what he wants to do in this church, maybe in this city, maybe even in our country. And he's saying, where are those who will set themselves apart for a sacred endeavor and follow me where they've never been before? So what does God have planned for your life? I don't, I don't know. I know that was the title of my message. I kind of tricked you, but only God knows. Um, I think he would love to sit down with you. I mean, you bring the posture, he brings the plans, and he would love to write your next chapter. But show up with a gritty, set-apart spirit with patience, obedience, and confidence. And, and just a, a pastoral moment. Sometimes there's moments where it's like, is he calling me to this or this, left or right? And there are moments where I, I believe God is saying, I, I, it's this and not that. I want you to go here. I want you to stay here. And in those moments, just know um, he's not a God of confusion, not trying to trick you. He, he often whispers, but whispers are clear when you're close. So get close and trust your God instinct. But then there's a lot more times, I, I believe, where God actually, he's like, I, I've delegated ownership. You have free will. Let's make a decision, and I'm going with you. Um, that's often a lot harder. In 2017, we were trying to decide where do we move to start this church? And uh, it's like trying to pick a movie on Netflix. There's hundreds of thousands of cities, and how do I pick one? And um, I remember... Like, God, I don't wanna hear you wrong. And I remember going into my boss Sean's office and, and he told me a story about taking his son Ashton Lego shopping. And they go to Toys R Us, RIP Toys R Us, but when it was still there, and they go down the Lego aisle and uh, Ashton can't pick one more time. Like, it's like, there's so many to choose from. And Sean, Sean goes, hey buddy, cause he was starting to panic. And Sean goes, hey bud, if you pick that one, would it be awesome? He goes, yeah. Okay, this one, if you pick that, would it be awesome? Yeah, I said, okay, pick one, but then be in for it. And don't look back and don't be double-minded and don't waste your life thinking about what if I pick that one or that one, the what if syndrome, just be all in, be confident in what you choose. And it will be awesome because you make it that way. I feel like for a lot of us, and that's what, when, when I was, we were trying to figure out like, is it left or right? Is it San Diego or Austin? And, and Sean told me, he said, do people in San Diego need Jesus? Yeah. Do people in Austin need Jesus? Yeah. Okay, then pick one and let's go reach some people for Jesus. But when you choose one, don't be double-minded about it. It's gonna be hard, expect that. Don't assume something's wrong because it's challenging. Go there and don't look back and have some confidence in the decision that you made. That's what he said. And, and, and then we were trying, we got here, we were trying to pick a venue to start this church. We got 90 no's. And then all of a sudden there was one yes, but it was this random building on North Lamar that's not at all made or designed for a church. And I was once again asking, I was like, God, are you, are you speaking to us with one option? Are you giving us a choice here? And, and, and Scott Brugman, one of my other mentors said, the same thing as Sean did. He said, hey, when you pick one, pick one and choose it and be all in and don't look to the left or to the right. Be confident in your calling. Don't be double-minded. Own your decision and, and it'll be awesome because you, just, you chose it and you made it awesome. 
I have pastoral conversations in my office and meetings all the time with newlyweds who are in my office and, and marriage is really hard and you find that out in year one. It's amazing, but it's challenging. And it's the, it's the ones who come into my office and they were under the impression before they got married that there is one person on this entire planet that, that will work for me, that God's trying to make me find. And like he's leaving breadcrumbs and if I miss the breadcrumb, I ruin my entire life. And then they get back from their honeymoon and they realize this is challenging, but then marriage is just challenging because it's challenging. It's amazing and it's rich, but it's because it's challenging. But for them, and that's why I tell them, I'm like, you're not just experiencing marriage being challenging. You're experiencing a subconscious torture of what it's called to, what it means to be double-minded. Because every morning you wake up and every night you go to bed, you are, you're, you're torturing yourself wondering, did I miss God's breadcrumb? And did I pick wrong? And did I ruin all the plans that he has for my life? And that, is what's going to kill. I'm like, marriage is gonna be so much more fun if you can just say, I'm confident in my choice. Yes, it's hard, but God will make me her, her soulmate as we go. I, I said this in, my, in the last service with my wife right there, that there's, it's not like I picked the one person on this planet I could have been married to, but she's the one because I chose her to be. And as we go, God will make us into each other's soulmates, but you gotta, you gotta not be double-minded. James, James 1 says the double-minded is like a boat at sea blown and tossed about by the wind, and that's why you're feeling unstable maybe in everything that you do. And I, I'm saying to you, it's time to get your confidence back. You have a better God than that. He's not a breadcrumb leaving God. He's a God that says, okay, let's go for this. Get close to me, find proximity, set your spirit apart, show up ready, bring some patience and obedience and confidence to the table, and then lean in and trust your God instinct and through the valley and over the mountain and everything in between, I will be with you. And by the way, I am a pro at getting you where I'm trying to go. Even if we have to reroute just a little bit, I can't steer a parked car. Make a decision and let's go. When we just drop the God card on everything, I mean, sometimes it's true like, well, God, God said go there and, and I went there because God said he wanted me to go there to fail at that so I would learn the lesson to go there and fail at that to learn and then, and then maybe for some of that, but if you get into the habit of just dropping the ace of spades God card on everything, I wanna challenge you. I wonder if you're just afraid to make decisions and afraid to own them. And you've been delegated ownership to do that. Trust your God instinct, lean in, and he will get you where he's trying to get you, amen? Will you guys stand up? We're about to sing a new song called Honey in the Rock. I love this song. It's about the wilderness journey from Egypt and uh, through the wilderness into the promised land, into freedom. And supposed to say one more time, I just felt it. Freedom is class five rapids. So if it feels like what is, freedom is class five rapids. Jesus is with you. And that's why we just did a five week series called Grit. Because what's ahead is a higher calling than what is behind. But like we're about to sing, there's manna on the ground, there's honey, there's water in the stone milk, honey, honey in the rock everywhere I go. He's my provision. And as you sing this, my prayer is that God will begin to download his vision for your future and plans he has for you into your soul, not just today, but throughout this next week. But here's the catch. It's, it, we're about to sing not about your plans. We're about to sing about his presence. Because at the end of the day, his presence is everything you need, he's got. And as you realize beneath the path, the path beneath my feet right now is where the presence of God is inside of me right now. And the more I speak that over my life and sing that back to him, 
the more the plants just, they, they come, but it's not because I need them, because I have something better, the presence of God, amen. So Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you are a provider. And as we sing to you, and as we continue to walk out of here with the same posture that just continues to, from our souls, sing all week, not just one hour in church, but all week, and we keep this gritty, set-apart set posture for the amazing things you want to do. Um, I pray, God, that you would download your vision for futures. I pray that you would make clear. I pray that you would help people get close, and I pray that your whispers would be crystal clear to people. I pray that uh, they would, whoever needs it would just feel your proximity unlike ever before as you call us to leave where we are and follow your presence where we've never been before. In Jesus' name, amen.